0: Lots of interesting things happened in the 2022 Australian federal election. And one of those things was in Queensland. Of great surprise to many who don't live there, there was a Green Wave across Brisbane where a series of seats in the lower house were won by the Greens party. The Greens had never held a Queensland seat in the House of Representatives before. So what happened? Today's Changemaker chat is with Max Chandler-Mather. Max was part of the Green Wave and now is the member for Griffith. He turned from a socially engaged student to a union organiser to a Green Party organiser, frustrated by politics as usual. He is part of a team of new representatives and dozens of volunteer activists and organisers that led the Green Wave. Today we talk in detail about the strategy behind their work, how they combined the lessons of community organising and deployed them in electoral politics. He explores how that worked, but also the challenges that he faces in trying to make change in a world of politics as usual. So, let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemaker Chats, conversations with people changing the world. Changemakers also produces episodes that are feature stories about social change campaigns. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. You can find out more about Changemakers on our website, where you can also sign up to our email list. It's changemakerspodcast.org. Well, hello, Max. Welcome to Changemakers. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. We've come to journey up to Queensland from Sydney, where I am, to find out all about this interesting green wave and all the interesting politics that's been happening combining electoralism and organizing. But before we start and we find out a bit more about you and how you got into the work that you do, could you tell me? What kind of change maker are you? How do you make change in the world?
1: Well, I think uh, this has evolved over time, but it comes first from an understanding of uh, this growing detachment between civil society and politics. So this sort of hollowing out of the political system and increasingly people feeling completely powerless and incapable of affecting change on a political system that increasingly uh, is quite detached from civil society. And... Uh, From that perspective, what we've also seen is sort of the hollowing out of the major parties in particular. So the Labor Party uh, used to have social weight via the union movement and that union movement has sort of collapsed from 50% of the population to 14% and you've also seen a similar hollowing out of the Liberal Party. And into that context, uh, I certainly believe and I think a lot of people in the the Queensland Greens believe that engaging in uh, electoral politics uh, is a one important part of making sort of change in people's lives, in particular because we are intervening in a political system that increasingly not a lot of people trust or feel connected to. But at the same time, to do that, to make that intervention in politics via the Greens... Uh, you also need to start rebuilding that social weight and organisation in the community. And so for me, uh, making change is a combination of building power via politics, winning seats and establishing sort of an electoral force in parliament capable of pushing for a politics people believe in, but giving that electoral representation, real power via organising in the community. So that's the capacity to door knock on hopefully eventually millions of doors, you know, run the sort of mutual aid programmes like Free Breakfast and become a permanent social presence in people's lives and have that, use that weight to build power in politics as well.
0: Excellent. Well, it sounds like a very impressive and comprehensive agenda. And I mean, the thing that burns for me to find out more about is, so how'd you get to that place? Like, tell us the long story, Max, about, you know, this quite sophisticated, built A new power in in political life by building a massive and intensified power in civil society. Build those connections. What you're describing. How did you come to that journey? Like where and why uh, and 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 who inspired the elements of that step across across your life? Tell us a couple of stories about how it developed. That's a good
1: question. Uh, So when I got to uni, uh, I uh, was you know very much a bit of a radical and hoped that you know, university would sort of be Where like, did that come from? Okay, no. Um, so even before then. So, uh, look, I grew up uh, in a pretty progressive family in 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 West End, which is sort of like inner city Brisbane. But my mum came from a very working class background in Ipswich, which is the first one to go to uni from her family and um, instilled in me at a very early age, I think, this sort of very strong sense of fairness, I suppose. And, you know, my family definitely weren't rich at the start. We certainly didn't do it tough, but... Uh, in the especially in the, I got a very strong understanding as well probably especially all through primary school of money and what happens when you don't have enough of it and and being stressed about money and, and a lot of my family, I always remember a lot of my family conflicts being about money and not having enough of it or, or, you know, and things like that. And and that I remember going through and constantly feeling like that stress and worrying about if my parents had enough money to pay for things. And at the same time, both my parents were very progressive. And so that definitely had an effect on me. And I think I got to high school and for the first time I started engaging with a bit of political theory and I got really excited about Paris May 1968, um, <laughs> as, as everyone does.
0: Oh, that's yeah,
1: and... <laughs> you know, this concept of this massive student movement, like millions of people in the street, mobilizing this huge trade, like inspiring this workers movement to come out into the street for this massive social transformation, uh, that, you know, didn't pay off, didn't come off, but it got, it felt like it got close. And for me in high school, that was a really big inspiration. And so I got to high school with this sort of, I suppose, like very, not particularly sophisticated, I suppose. Um, but, uh, sort of radical politics instilled by an upbringing where it, my politics was very much a material one. Like I, um, in particular, just cared about economic justice and redistributing wealth and and felt had a lot of strong feelings about that and being involved in the labor movement in some way and in particular radical labor movement. Um, and so I think I remember the first day of uni, I, I think I briefly flirted with some of the socialist groups, um, but all of them were to be frank, all of them are a bit weird. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, poor radical socialist groups! <laughs> I know. And um, so I ended up joining the Whitlam Club because I thought, well, Golf Whitlam's a pretty good guy. And
0: I love the idea that that wasn't weird. Yeah, yeah. it was. <laughs> He's uh, cool, man. He's cool. Yeah, I know. So
1: sure. Bunch of nerds. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, and it, look, it was weird as well. And so for the first few years of uni, I was involved a bit of like dreaded student politics, but mostly actually. Um, sort of on the fringes of the Labour Party um, for a bit. I didn't particularly like the Labour Party, but I was sort of convinced to be partly involved because, you know, you can change it from the inside.
0: Um, theory of change. It was a theory of change you were going to, yeah, you were going to sort of transform the system within. Maybe like being in Parliament. Is You know, just kidding. We'll get to there later. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> right.
1: And, um, yeah, well, hopefully a lot More effective, Uh, and you know, we went through union. We um, a bunch of us organized this big protest movement uh, to kick the liberals out of the student union, who had sort of corrupted the student union and and basically stolen a bunch of elections, um, including. And um, that was all a, um, sort of quite a successful protest movement. Actually, we organized a bunch of big marches on the on, at uni. And, and so I went all through that. And then I got to about 2013 and, you know, Labor were reopening Madison Nauru and cutting the single parents pension. And I got completely disillusioned with politics in general. Uh, just was like, fuck it. I hate the Labor Party um, I'm not going to be involved anymore. And my first job out of uni, I studied history and English literature. At uni, and my first job out of uni was as a union organizer for the National Tertiary Education Union. And uh, that was. So well, that's real what an arts
0: degree is made for, isn't it? That's that's
1: right, exactly. And you know, at that point, I just I sort of thought I would never be involved in electoral politics again. And. I would do a bit of union organising on the side, and then probably what I thought I was going to do was I'd done well in my honours in history and I was going to go and do a PhD in history and then go teach history. I thought it was like my trajectory. Uh, and I had I, t- I took a dim view of the Greens and Labour and generally just the prospects for change happening via electoral politics. And then Jono, uh, a friend at uni, Jono Srinangafan, he um, started pestering me about managing his council campaign uh, for the Greens, and the Greens had never won anything in Queensland before except for Larissa Waters' Senate seat. He actually, well, he first started pestering me to run his state campaign for South Brisbane. I said, John, there is absolutely no way you're going to have any chance of winning South Brisbane. You're mad. I'm, I'm going to go on a holiday to the US, and when I come back, maybe you can start talking some sense. And I came back and he was, he, you know, he lost that, that campaign, he got a bit of a swing, and then he said, oh, I'm going to run for council now. You should manage my council campaign. And he was unrelenting um, and very convincing. And he and his partner over the course of about six months convinced me to do it. So. I wow.
0: Mean, yeah. Why did you say yes? I mean, apart from the fact that they were terribly convincing, I still appreciate you were you know had some autonomy. Why did you say yes?
1: I think because like John and I shared, like with John and I have political differences, but we broadly shared the same politics. And I had had this experience at uni of organising and in unions and organising and knowing of the power of one-on-one com- persuasive conversations. And so I had started to think, well, like what if you did that at scale in an electorate? Like, like there's no reason why you can't take that type of organising where you train people to have persuasive conversations and you relate to people on their material conditions and you don't have to agree with them everything but you try and build a political coalition that can change things and I was like well I suppose we could try that in in a council ward so that was sort of what shifted and and I and I think the other experience I'd had and a lot of people go through this is everyone's gone to a rally and felt completely powerless and I think I just reached I was like I had started to get interested in doing some sort of politics again and I thought well I've spent years going to protests and nothing changing and actually feeling pretty powerless. Uh, and was like, well, it's time to do something different. So Johnny convinced me to do it. And we won. Uh, and, uh,
0: <laughs> just like that. that that's right. <laughs> that's fine. Um,
1: and so that was, and maybe the final bit was we won and this was transformative for me. Like it, it, it really was because it, all of our political theory worked like, you know, in this, oh my god, that never happens. Yeah, I know. So we had this. <laughs> tell us, tell us. That's it, and, and um, it really transformed. Like it, it, it led to a growth, and I think a lot of our political theorisation because from from winning there, I was like, well, let's try and sort of basic idea that organising ordinary people to have one on one conversations with people will shift politics. But it was like, well, you shouldn't be able to do that in a seat where we we actually needed a fifteen percent swing to win, like not against against a pretty strong in you know, a strong Labour area, like. This is a seat they've never lost. And that led to a transformation politics because all of a sudden you saw this future extend beyond you, which was like, well, we can expand this organizational capacity. And every time we win this council state or even eventually federal seat. That gives us resources and capacity to go and, hey, improve people's lives in the community, expand our capacity to provide direct aid and do that sort of community organising at the same time as building confidence in this electoral movement that it can win and expand. And that at that point, it didn't feel like there was any barrier. Like I remember going into the 2017 election thinking, all we need to do this is what we did in the Gab Award at a bigger scale and we'll win that as well. Yeah. And so it's sort of the rest is history. And obviously we did pretty well from there.
0: Well, it's true. And for people who don't know, Max is now sitting in the seat of Griffith as part of a green wave that just happened at the last federal election alongside colleagues at State Council, Senate. Queensland's uh, a slightly different colour to the rest of the country as a consequence of this of this organising. So what I want us to do uh, today, Max, uh, kind of you've talked through some of it. I want to break down more of it. I want you to talk through a little bit of the process and in, uh, in a little bit more detail. And I guess then for us, including some of the inspiration for it and just chewing over some of the lessons, what works, what's different, the, you know, like what's 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 easy, what's hard about this uh, organising in an electoral context. So I want to ask about how. So you, I can see that you came to it in that first round, lots of persuasive conversations. You'd learnt that in the union movement, you know, one-to-one conversations where you could, people get to know each other rather than just get proselytised. How did it come about for when you ran in the last federal election? Like, how, how you know, you talked about it scaling, going from smaller to big. Tell us about what happened in the last election and, and what that was like, how it worked then.
1: So... Yeah, this is at a scale like we've never done before. The background to this is years and years of of campaigning means you're training a broader and broader layer of volunteer organisers with the capacity to train other organisers. And by the time we got to 2021, early 2021, we started to plan this campaign. We realised actually we were sitting on this enormous wealth and resources of work and iterative work. Uh, And every time you win, a new layer of people get involved because they think, oh, you guys are winning and it's nice to win something for a change. Uh, and uh, that expands it. So we got got to the Griffith campaign, and one of the things we realised was persuasive conversations at scale alone are not going to cut it. Because we had had this experience in the state election in 2020 where we had got, we'd had, you know, enormous number of conversations, but actually the swings weren't as big as we thought they were going to be based on just on that metric. And so what we started to realise was we'd also needed to start to expand our capacity to be a constant presence in people's lives and give people a sense of what it would be like having a Greens representative before they had one.
0: Like prefiguring Greens a Greens world. Interesting. That,
1: that's right. And so on the one hand we took our persuasive conversations capacity and we tripled it. So if you're I'm sure there's some organizing nerds on this podcast, but you know, we divided the electorate up into multiple regions, we assigned each region to a series uh, to a team of organizers and that team of organizers spent every weekend organizing and recruiting people from within those communities to, and then training them in how to have those conversations to the point where each region broken up in the electorate basically had a group of 50 to 100 people who knew that area, like those streets, down to the people in those streets, like the back of their hand.
0: And there were locals. Many of them are locals, like what I'm hearing, right? Yeah, like no, they weren't, weren't fly in, fly out types. It was people recruiting locals to do conversations basically with their neighborhood. That's right.
1: Uh, uh, like I would say well over 90% of the volunteer base were people from within the electorate. Something that I think it was difficult for Labor to comprehend. Like I think they're genuine thought we were shipping people in. And, and that in itself has an effect.
0: Can I effect. ask? Can I ask, yeah. ask this? Why do you reckon people signed up? I mean that's you're asking people to do quite a lot of work. I don't imagine that everyone would necessarily sign up. Why do you reckon so many people from the from the neighborhood said yes to spending their weekends door knocking?
1: Yeah we we thought about that a lot. I mean part of it was we would train a volunteer. So when you're knocking on someone's door and you're like, oh actually we agree on a lot like yeah and I've I've voted Greens before and I think it was giving people a bit of hope. Uh, People knew that we'd won before, so it was a credible thing for us to say, hey, if you get involved in this movement, we could win and and help change politics. And then the other thing we did was a lot of big picture forums. So we would invite, even if someone was like, I'm sort of interested in getting involved, we'd say, look, don't worry. Uh, You don't have to get involved straight away, but just come along and hear what we have to say. Um, And that looked like, there was two intakes so you would go to someone's door and they'd be interested and you say well just come along to this one of them was a full day training that we ran and it was quite great I got to run a lot of the part of the trainings and it honestly was one of my favorite still one of my favorite things um, in this job is getting to run volunteer trainings and those volunteer trainings ran for a full day you'd have about 75 people at each in any given training and it would the training would be broken into three streams beginner intermediate and advanced at the start of the training there would be an hour-long presentation about our theory of change um why we thought we could win and why actually just winning griffith is a step along the way to fundamentally transforming australian politics we took it very seriously you know we talked about the sort of 18 year plan for a green government
0: I love it. It's not 20 years, only 18. (laughs) You're going to do the 20 year plan in 18 years. (laughs)
1: That's right. Um, You know, broke down what that would look like. And and then the other sort of forums are these big, big picture forums where, you know, we talk about what it's going to take to break the power of fossil fuel capital in Australia and what are the contours of power that mean that, that they wield so much power over politics. We talked about you know, what would a universal housing program look like? And at the end of each of ones, we would say, well, if you like what you've heard, the only way that's going to happen is if you get involved. And our philosophy was treat everyone with respect uh, and don't try and like, just feed people a little bit, actually give them the whole thing, let them in on the the entire theory of change and uh, your, your politics and why, and why winning Griffith is not just, that's not the end. It's the start of something. And um, we found that it worked to build not only a very politically educated volunteer base, but also a very committed one.
0: Yeah. You, gosh, it reminds me of Barcelona. So you, I, 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 my understanding is, as you've been inspired by the work that's been happening in Barcelona, article is currently contesting her third election, but it was a similar kind of politics that 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 grew there, La Pá, when it Morphed into some of the leaders transformed and formed Barcelona on Camus had a similar philosophy of occupying the centre, of of educating people about all the issues, treating people seriously. And they, and there they they transformed, they have transformed the city. What were were you informed or interested or inspired by um, people from overseas, movements from overseas? Yeah, earlier
1: on, there was definitely an engagement, definitely movements overseas. uh, and the sort of like 15M movement and Podemos in Spain uh, and uh, Syriza in Greece and, and um, obviously Jeremy Corbyn and Bernie Sanders. And there was this sort of moment, probably what was it from like 2016 to 2017, where sort of like a social, a revived social democratic, quite progressive social democratic electoral f- project and strategy reemerged out of almost out of nowhere. Like, and in many ways, I think it emerged in the same way a lot of people in Australia have gone through, which is this sort of failure of the Iraq. I think a big strategic turning point in progressive politics was the failure of the Iraq war marches. Like you got the biggest protest marches in human history and government still went to war in Iraq. And I think that demoralized a lot of people and it spurred it and inspired it. And, you know, you got to about. 2010, you had in London, you had the Milbank, like the student marches, or like around then, and then you had the emergence of the 15M movement in Spain and and radical protest movements that then exhausted themselves, like they sort of hit, they peaked and they troughed. And out of it, the permanent political institutions that emerged out of it attempted to engage in this electoral social democratic politics. And so we were, like, certainly, I think a lot of people were inspired by that. And we thought, well, you can describe this. You know, it, to be frank, it was just a progressive. If you look at their actual politics, it's a progressive, social democratic politics, um, and, uh, and and it, and maybe it could work to win national elections. And it was interesting they. They came and they went as well, you know, and like that. And they ultimately they've all failed.
0: Well, except in Barcelona. Yes, that's except right. in Barcelona, right? Podemos it was a bit of a fizzer, but actually in cities, in on on the ground in more local politics, there seem to be um, there's been more lasting success, like with Fearless Cities, that sort of global movement around those those independent parties. But let's let, let's leave those international flyers. We we can see the success that it's happening in in. In Queensland, I feel like I, I, you know, we came in halfway. So you let's just recap, right? So elements of the success of what you were doing—you divided everywhere up. You were using persuasive conversations. You were using what you know as a community organizer. We call them civic academies. You talked about them as issue spaces where people learnt. They also you also did training. You connected the two by basically saying, "Interest in this, year, you've got to change the power." Brilliant. Was that was that the like was that the the winner combination? Like it was what was the next bit or was there anything? More more that, that, like, it sounds extraordinary. It sounds very powerful. Tell us, am I missing more details of what you did? Yeah,
1: so there was another big wing of the campaign, which was that sort of prefigurative one. And so some key elements, it's probably three, it was, we called it the community organising arm of the campaign. Probably the key moment in that was the Brisbane floods um, and they were devastating. And this, this was a really transformative moment, I think, for our electoral poll, Projecting in Queensland because um, to get down to the nitty gritty detail, we found out we found out over the weekend that the floods were bad, and then over the overnight, really bad. And we came into the office and just because we had come with the campaign thing, we hey, we need this community organising arm to actually give people direct support. And it was like, here is this moment where the entire city was devastated. The Brisbane City Council and state government had entirely dropped the ball in providing support. Like they didn't really roll out until the week after the floods hit. Uh, and we said, well, we've got to get to work and help people. So we basically converted our entire door knocking machine into basically a, like, flood response unit. So we got our 40 best and most skilled door knockers. We pulled up a flood map of Brisbane over the, o- over, over the electorate and we said, where the floodwaters have receded, you've got to go and door knock those streets and find out if people need help. Mm-hmm. We then gave people contact numbers And every time they identified an area that needed help, they would call our central office and we would then deploy another team of volunteers we'd had ready um, with gloves and cleaning equipment and first aid stuff. We also set them all up with ice eskies, with food, drinks, uh, and um, then we just dispersed across at first it was across Griffith, and then what happened was communities and places like Lee found out it was the Greens helping. And so our office, literally just our electoral office in Griffith, like our campaign office, was getting calls from people being like, hey, can you send some people to help us in Lee? And um, this occurred over the course of a week. And for many people it was one of the most affirming and also tough but affirming moments in politics. Like there was this amazing moment, right, there was a lot of amazing moments, but for me the favourite was we were in bed... We were in this street in East Brisbane, this block that had been completely forgotten. We had set me there for a few days, hauling out mudded furniture, like being a shoulder to cry on. We ordered pizzas and just like gave the whole street pizzas. And then this council truck walked up and they didn't have lunch for the day. So the Greens were the ones feeding all the council workers there, like they were rocking oh up and. And then Amy, our state MP, had, like, got a call from someone was like, hey, do you know anyone needs help? And she's like, well, yeah, because we work closely with the Green State MP, Amy, Amy McMahon and, and and Jono at a council level. Amy was like, you need some help. And I don't think she realized this, but then what happened is a fire truck rocked up and this, like, big burly fire sergeant gets out of the car out of the truck big fire truck and he rocks up to me because he's like oh you seem like you're um coordinating things he's like you need any help and I was like yeah yeah we need help like you've got these big hoses that would be amazing and before we knew it there was all these greens volunteers directing these fire firemen and firewomen around this street and all the residents knew it was this the greens organizing all of this and that was a, and we went and did a lot of other things as well during the campaign. Like we planted a gorilla garden to protect this park from being bulldozed with like 80 residents. We dropped off free food to people during COVID. We letterboxed all the public housing, the electorate to let people know that if they were locked down, we could come and drop off like a free a care package basically. And we had all volunteers doing that. And that was the first time we'd ever done that. In Queensland, and we're still doing a lot of a lot of it to this day um, out of the electoral office, which I can go into later. But that was entirely new, and it had a profound effect, I think, on how people view the Greens in the areas we were trying to win, but also a profound effect on our volunteers.
0: Yeah, because you, you're sort of not only doing politics to achieve an ends, you're actually enacting the ends in your daily politics. Like that is quite, you don't often do that in traditional political activity, like to combine in that prefigurative work. That is is really interesting. So look, you know- I'm going to break the, break the news to everyone. Max won. Woo. You know, it was a a great success. So tell us though, you know, like it's one thing to use all these beautiful, um, electoral, uh, strategies, new new novel organizing techniques to get elected. How have you sought to, you know, manifest or carry on the sort of intention of that kind of mass based politics? Now you're, now you're in parliament.
1: Mm, Great question. So on the community organizing, uh, you gain and lose something when you go from electoral mobilisation to an electoral office. The thing you lose is, I think that a lot of people understand that the key moment is election, and so a lot of people, a lot more people, get involved. Like we had over a thousand engaged volunteers on that campaign, so that fell away a bit. But what we had was more resources in electoral office and a more time and capacity to train people. So what we've moved to on the community organising arm is we're now running a free breakfast weekly free breakfast program. Um, it'll soon to be in three state schools across the electorate. We rock up and we feed people either, um, last week it was quesadillas uh, with, you know, like eggs, spinach, salsa, <laughs> cheese. So we did free breakfast programs she in schools, course. which will eventually will expand to three days a week in six schools across the electorate. We're also running a free food pantry, um, a free dinner for the rough sleepers down near West End, for homeless people there. Um, we're also um, continuing our door knocking campaign, but this time providing help and support to do that across the country in particular obviously focused on housing. I'm sure I can go into that a little bit later. Uh, and uh, in terms of engagement with the electorate, we we kicked off after we won with this series of town halls and we didn't think there was going to be much engagement with them, but we ended up having collectively just under a 1,000 people engage, like come along to one of those town halls across the electorate and a lot of people engaging with politics and, and coming, letting us know their concerns, but also us giving them our theory of change, not just Greens volunteers, but just random people in the public. So we've been doing a lot of that and thinking very carefully about how we match, we transform that power that we're building in the community across the country into into the political system and into parliament as well.
0: Mm, Yeah, because I mean, you you told people that this was an 18-year plan to change politics, Max. It's got to be real. So... What I want I want to ask you like to explore what's hard about this right like you've painted a pretty sweet p- picture you know like it's it clearly impressive and it was highly successful but I know that there are contradictions and challenges between this practice of community organizing that is oriented towards civil society and issues as opposed to electoralism that is oriented towards candidates and majority uh, votes and individuals representing for rather than participating in, right? There's really different cultures between these two worlds. Doesn't mean they can't be connected, but I'm sure that there are challenges, What has been hard? What have you found challenging in in reconciling and and sort of tussling between these two worlds?
1: Yeah, a lot of it's been difficult. I think uh, certainly in the last 12 months, perhaps one of the hardest things is parliament as an institution uh, and... Certainly my experience uh, has been that engaging with the processes of Parliament uh, and often takes away a lot of time and resources away from what feels like often the more important work of organizing on the ground and doing that sort of community support work Uh, and and certainly a lot of the processes everything from having to sit through every question time to engaging uh, in the way parliament frames political debates often as yes or no questions that the government gets to set the terms of uh, that electoral politics the way it's covered in the media is often extremely adversarial which isn't always necessarily a bad thing but but fr- the adversarial nature is framed in a way that i you're answering yes or no questions and where you fall on those is is how um the media decide where you stand on things and so that doesn't leave often a lot of room for nuance and so much of organizing and and one-on-one conversations and community organizing involves a lot of nuance and relationship building so Um, Yeah, all of that has definitely been challenging. And what has been nourishing, I suppose, is that actually, I think a lot of the problems in electoral politics, the way politicians get very disconnected, I think, from reality and from their communities and sacrifice, I think, a lot of their principles to sort of abide by the culture of parliament and politics. Precisely making it, often while it makes it more difficult to be in parliament and engage in politics, if you want to abide by the principles that sort of make your your strategy good for organizing, community organizing, it might make it more difficult and time consuming and exhausting, but I think it means that you retain you actually end up with more power anyway and, and more influence over politics. It just means things are often a lot more difficult.
0: Okay. So I mean, what I'm kind of hearing is that if you break the rules of parliament, you hopefully don't become like the rest of them. Is that That's it? right. Okay, so tell us how you're not going to become like the rest of them, Max. You know, like I'm sure that you're not the first politician to go down a camera and go, "I will be different." You know, but like w- what is going to what is going to hold you accountable to that difference? Do you reckon?
1: That's a great question. I mean, one, I don't think it, it can never all be on me, you know. And I think certainly, I'm a big believer that I'm just a rep- I'm a rep I'm one representative of a much broader political movement and but i think in terms of differences uh so housing i think is a good one there i think there's a lot of people in the media maybe to give a practical example this is helpful to illustrate it. a lot of people in the media who thought oh why are the greens standing up to labor's housing plan isn't something better than nothing uh and i think from the logic of the media and political class um that makes uh, a lot of that can make a lot of sense but if what we found door knocking a lot and engaging with a uh, broader political movement, both our volunteers, but knocking at the door, was when you presented with people with the facts, which was, you know, Labor's plan doesn't necessarily guarantee a cent in funding for housing, does nothing for renters and we'll see the shortage of social and affordable housing get worse. And we asked, do you think we should stand up for it and refuse to pass it until we get something better? Overwhelming amount of people in the community said, yes, stand up to the government. And it can feel certainly felt for me. I remember this weekend before went back down, came back up to Brisbane and I was getting attacked a lot in the media and getting attacked a lot in parliament and by a lot of these sort of like opinion leaders in both the major parties, but in the sort of traditional mainstream media, I remember self-doubting and thinking, oh, Maybe, maybe we should, maybe we should just, you know, stop this fight. And and um, um, even though I completely fundamentally disagree with Labor's plan and think it will do nothing, this is all just too much. And I spent a weekend knocking on doors in Queensland and meeting a lot of volunteers, and it was so refresh refreshing. It was you just. You know, you chatted to that person who was like, even people in social housing, and I was like, I remember saying to them, well, look, Labor's plan might build a few hundred or a few thousand homes post 2025, and they said, it doesn't matter, you need to hold the line, like there are are millions of people who need help. And it was one of those moments where there is often that retaining that connection to that community and as a principle, not making political decisions until you re-engage with it in formal and structured ways has been one of the principles I've tried to abide by down there. And you can feel the forces tugging you, you any other way. And I don't, I, I don't think enough of myself to think that I, under the pure force of my own intellect, I, I would somehow be able to resist those forces but certainly at least saying even no matter what I think while I'm down there don't make political decisions until you go and re-engage in your community and 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 speak to the people these policies will affect uh, and engage with the people that you've been organizing up until this point uh, that principle has served felt like it served me well for 12 months now at least.
0: Yeah wow and you know and if then I guess you can that principle becomes more widespread as a practice, not just a sort of personal, you know, sort of motto, but actually a practice of politics, then we can start to rebuild the accountability that you talked about that was dying at the beginning of this podcast. Yes, that's right.
1: Yeah. And it's it's amazing. Like it's a, it is genuinely amazing. It's been amazing to me over these past 12 months, how different the logic and politics of parliament and the people involved in parliament, everyone from all the politicians down there to the media to the state you know like lobby groups and so-called stakeholders and then when you do go back out into the community and chat to people and often they're just a complete divergence uh and Mm. often you can take a political position like we have that might seem really unpopular amongst the majority of politicians down in canberra or even to a lot of the media and then you get out to the community and people like oh no i'm glad you took that position no actually that's what i think and i believe I don't I think I'm naive enough to think that just door knocking occasionally is going to completely stop the way Parliament Corrals and forces you to conform and and detaches you from your communities but it's clear that there has to be processes and principles and as you said a political practice um, to at least counteract that
0: yeah yeah and and one would hope that um that that idea of being accountable to individuals through a tactic like door knocking, which is, you know, sort of a movement-wide mobilizing kind of interaction can then also corral and congeal new community organizations that can hold you to account too, right? Like there the, are the multiple forms of accountability for our politicians, you know, when organization in the community independent from politics is strong, the lines of accountability are strong um, and so working out ways. Uh, what I'm hearing is part of what your strategy is, is to invest in the creation of civic accountability to change politics.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And um, precisely because we have a theory and understanding that politics and political institutions and electoral politics has, has done so much damage to sort of political projects in the past and we've watched the way they've been co-opted and we've had we've had to ask the cuff question well insanity is just doing the same thing again and expecting a different result so how do we learn from learn from that and and, um, uh, and and not just make the same mistakes the other key thing is a big part of our social base of the party these days are young well not just young but predominantly young relatively sort of precariously employed renters and it's a very mobilised base who will only campaign for us and engage with our projects if they feel like they're being represented. And that in itself is also a very real and material way that I'm held accountable.
0: Yeah, yeah. But yeah if you don't actually help to improve those lived experience, they might turn on you too, Max, right? Like they actually, there's a reason why people are getting involved in politics, which is to, to make their lives better. And they want political representatives who do that with them. That's right. So here's my final question. Okay, this is very inspiring. I'm. You know, in very, like the, the the green wave of organising that's happening in in Queensland. It's exciting to find out more about it, more about it. You've talked about the eighteen year plan, twenty years, and eighteen years, whatever you know that you're going to achieve. I'm excited to know if this was to move in the direction, you know, prefiguring what's going to happen with this kind of political organising. Where does it take us, Max? Where does where does your vision for political change go?
1: I think. If we're going, yeah, strike forward a long way in time, one of the things we understand that if the Greens win a majority or or become a really large electoral force in a federal or state parliament, that without that organisation on the ground, you know, you're sort of winning government without winning power and fully understanding that actually proper full scale social and political change means that your representation in Parliament, as I said at the start, was has to be matched by organisation on the ground. So I think to give some impractical examples, like say we're attempting to take on the power of fossil fuel corporations and, and there's a Greens government attempting to significantly increase taxes on mining corporations to fund a transition. A government can do that, but as we've seen before, mining corporations can also launch very aggressive attacks governments that try to do that and so there's not much point having government trying to do something like that without the capacity to not only turn on and say a mobilization machine across the country that can over the course of a weekend chant to hundreds of thousands of people to counteract that sort of social push but maybe also we need the sort of social power that means that say if mining corporations try and go on a capital strike or engage things like that we're organized enough in communities to provide, say, mutual aid, or, or you know, organise and attached enough to those working, those working communities that they understand actually they have more, to, they have more to gain by siding with the government than they do in this instance, or a Greens government, I suppose, in this instance, they do with very aggressive and highly, very wealthy mining corporations, uh, and and also where a large sections of the Australian community have had the experience of being already directly supported or, or helped by the Greens movement. Uh, by the, which means that by the time that we get to that point of forming government, we've already established those strong social connections of trust and in, an intuitive trust. Which means that even in the sort of those moments in politics where you do come under enormous attack by powerful institutions, say mining corporations or property developers or banks, that those attacks are, are far better weathered if you know that, say, your neighbour down the street, or, who might be a Greens volunteer, helped serve your kid free dinner or free food the other night. But that happens at a scale across enough communities that. Um, our representation our representation in parliament knows not only they're accountable to that movement, that that movement is giving them the confidence to continue to stick to our principles and push for our politics, regardless of what the media or mining corporations or banks might be doing to us.
0: Well, that's quite an exciting vision—an organised populace that is able to sort of, in a sense, back in uh, decisions that come from parliament. You know, a, a, a politics of the that's rooted in the people that means that it's not able to be pushed around so easily by the by the forces that are going to need to be changed if we're going to have to deal with things like climate change. Look, Max, it's been pretty inspiring to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing you roll out your 18-year plan and also the the steps in between. And your work on housing and all those issues, it's been already an inspiring intervention into the Australian political debate. Uh, We we wish you well. Maybe we'll speak to you further down the track. Great. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Great questions. No worries. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all of our episodes. This is series seven, so there is plenty to be inspired by in our back catalogue. Our digital producer at ChangeMakers is Lachlan Hodson. Our audio producer is Jules Walker. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers, and community campaigners, so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au/backslash-policy-lab. Like us on Facebook at ChangeMakers Podcast. We're on Twitter at Changemakers99 and I'm on Twitter at Amanda Tatz with two T's. Check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to take a look at the video content on our organising school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking.